Welcome to another episode of Getting on the Green, your real estate podcast with your host, Craig Merlin. For anybody who has not heard any of the episodes, I'd like to give you a special welcome. I'm excited for you all to check out the awesome professionals that we've had on the show so far. Um, Just go back uh, to the previous episodes after listening to this one, and I think you'll be educated on a lot of interesting subjects that have to do with the real estate professional field and fields linked to it. On this week's episode, we have an awesome individual by the name of Gianna Blanca. She is here with us, uh, one of my close friends. Uh, She was born and raised, or she was born in Venezuela, but she was raised in Miami. So she is a a, uh, Miami girl at heart, but she still has that Latina, uh, you know, pizzazz that she brings to the (laughs) table. Um, She got a BBA from FIU and... um, for further ado, welcome Gianna. Thank you very much for being here on the show. I'm so on? glad to have you here. Um, so tell us a little bit more, a little bit more about yourself. Um, what got, what kind of got you into the real estate world, and who is Gianna Blanca? Uh, so I started working in hospitality throughout college. Uh, I worked at a few bars and restaurants. Um, knew that I liked it, but uh, saw a future in sales. Um, I quickly got into real estate when I met this franchisor for a burger restaurant. Um, he kind of took me under his wing and he really was my mentor. Uh, so I ended up being the director of real estate for this expanding burger franchise. It's based, uh, in California. I came to Florida a couple years ago. Um, I knew I wanted to work with restaurants because I had the hospitality background, so it's kind of where my uh, specialization went in for real estate. So you, so you immediately specialized in something. You didn't kind of try and dip your toes into different areas of the waters. You just went straight into specializing in restaurants. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like there'd be more value if I focused on on restaurants. It was something I enjoyed to do. Um, I ended up expanding into fitness and other retailers that I like, uh, but I thought it was smart for me to stick to, to one. So having kind of like a core competency of restaurants and sure you'll dabble here and there on, you know, maybe an office here or a retail, um, yeah. unit somewhere else, but, uh, restaurants is basically your, your main focus. That's definitely my focus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, from your experience, what is different about restaurants in the commercial real estate world than, you know, for instance, any other thing? Like, why, why would somebody need to specialize in restaurants, for instance, versus something else? Uh, the construction alone that's involved in, in restaurants, which plays into the, the contract agreement and leasing and how to structure the terms for the deal. Uh, it's, it's a lot of information. It's it's almost like you have to have some somewhat of a construction background to really understand how to do these deals with restaurants. Um, so you really want when you're working with you're finding a restaurant location, you really want to work with somebody who's done it before, who understands the length it takes to build a restaurant. Um, what what are the liabilities that you have with the landlord? How to protect yourself? So it's it's a whole other world that that uh, you have to be familiar with. Okay, so for instance, like like what? What exactly do you need to know, for instance, as a broker to help your clients out? Like you said, like different information. Obviously, there's probably liability things, but in the construction, for instance, or yeah. um, in the spaces that you're looking for, um, for instance, like second generation or like what, what things are you looking for or what are you going to have to install in these properties 
in order to make it workable for a restaurant? Um, build out is is uh, understanding the build out time and delivery of the space is key. So whether you're coming into a space that was a restaurant before or wasn't, you really have to understand the tenant's investment into the space. Uh, if it's a space that wasn't a restaurant, I always ask for tenant improvement, which is an investment from the landlord to help with construction. You know, we're improving the asset. It's, it makes sense for the landlord to be a partner with the restaurant, especially for terms that are 10 years. Um, so it benefits the landlord too to, to invest in, in the restaurant construction. Other than that, build out time is very important. You know, we fortunately have delays because of permitting and every municipality is so difficult to work with. So you really want to make sure that you protect the tenant and they have sufficient amount of time to not pay rent and focus on their construction before they open. Is that kind of like a standard thing for restaurants that they maybe don't pay rent at the beginning or until they're open or something like yeah, that? Yeah, rent abatements should be standard. You know, some landlords will, will try to work around it, but that's that's a standard ask. You cannot pay rent while you're building a restaurant. It's not fair. Okay. Um, so what what is a second generation restaurant? What does that what does that exactly mean when somebody says like, yeah, this property is a second gen restaurant or something like that what what does that mean that's a great question because it's used a lot and people don't really know what it means um so second generation space could be a space that has any value that could help a restaurant so i've seen second generation spaces that have plumbing done so so the bathrooms and where the sink was going to go and the, the coolers done so that's technically second generation even though it has nothing else or it has a grease trap something that's needed for sewage for restaurants what what exactly is it a grease trap is something that needs to be installed for um, anywhere, any uh, place that has a kitchen. So a commissary or a restaurant needs a grease trap added to the facility uh, to deal with sewage. Okay. Um, so that's an added feature. Or you can have a second generation that's that's a full built-out restaurant, somebody who went out of business that so you could take advantage and just you know kind of remodel a little bit. Okay. Are you do you deal with liquor licenses at all, or do you you know? Do the restaurants do that on their own without their real estate yes. broker? Because I mean, I I was looking at a at a um, basically some sort of business. I won't go too much into it, but it required a liquor license. So I did a little bit of research, and there's a couple of things that kind of withhold you from just opening up something that serves liquor. So whether it's you know too close to a a, a religious. Um, you know, property or a school. Um, so do you have to deal with that at all? Or do you just refer them to a, an actual lawyer or what are you, what are you, what's your involvement with that? Um, since licenses aren't tied to the real estate, they're tied to the, the business entity. Uh, I usually, it's not in my scope to deal with that. Okay. I can always advise and I know kind of design wise, whether they should afford a liquor license or not. So I can kind of consult in that realm, but it's really out of my scope. But that, so that doesn't go into basically your, um, I guess if you want to call it your zone that you're looking for, um, for your potential client. Um, so the liquor license, let's say for instance, you can't have two, two places within a certain square footage that is serving liquor. Does that kind of yeah. narrow the scope of where you can, suggest for your clients to go or or is that on them to do um, it's played more into site selection whether or not the space is i think big enough to support a liquor bar so that's that's mostly the conversations that i've had um i, I this is a, a common topic with restaurants that are 
new to expanding or have only one or this this is the first location that they're opening, they're not sure if they should invest in a liquor license. It really changes the business model completely. If it, you know, if you're in a suburban area, is it really going to benefit you to have a liquor bar? So it's um, it definitely plays into site selection, which market you want to be in. So it's it's something that I'm involved in still. Okay, so for our listeners, in case you haven't uh, taken a guess yet, our topic for today is basically restaurants and QSR, which stands for Quick Service Restaurants, in uh, the commercial real estate world. So that's why we brought in Gianna today to talk about this, because she has loads of experience in this topic. So um, kind of feeding off of our last um, podcast and in the times we're at in the middle of May 2020, um, we have COVID still going on. So let's kind of pivot the conversation a little bit to talk about um, how restaurants are doing throughout this whole pandemic. So give us your take on how restaurants are doing in general, and then we can kind of go in if you feel you're able to, um, to maybe more specifically your clients or something like that. So let's go the broad term of restaurants in general. How are they doing throughout this pandemic? Uh, it's definitely hard to see, you know, rest, the restaurant industry was, was uh, the industry that was hardest hit by all of this. Um, you know, I think it's over 5 million workers laid off. Uh, tons of restaurants have just closed completely. Some have remained open for delivery, but as we know, these third-party services take such a big chunk, 30%, which is a common profit margin for restaurants. It's really hard to survive now. Um, third-party so, services... You mean like, delivery services, like, like, like okay, so like, okay, yeah. all right. Um, so, I mean, I'm a huge supporter of, of locals, local businesses. So I, I've been, you know, speaking at different restaurants that have stayed open and seeing their feedback. It's really tough. I mean, the ones who I've seen do well, have, have really adapted quickly and shifted their restaurants into little markets, doing their own delivery services. Uh, just... You have to see how restaurants can adapt quickly. I guess that's the only way to survive during something so aggressive like this. Okay, so that's kind of how they're doing right now. That kind of leads perfectly into my my next question, which is how are they coping? And like, what, what changes are they making that you're seeing in order to cope with this situation? Uh, besides PPE, so just making sure that all the workers have masks and obviously being, you know, sanitary guidelines have completely changed. Um, so procedures for restaurants have changed. It's, it's a lot more, um, thought that goes into packaging a meal, delivering it. So, um, that's part of adapting, I think, but also now for planning on the reopening, how are restaurants going to change their dining room, their kitchen, everything changes now, you know, dining consumers going out to dining is, is going to be much less. Yeah. Are there any, like, I don't even know if there are any guidelines out for the restaurants to even start planning on as of now. So they're kind of, unless I'm wrong, it seems like they're kind of in a limbo state of, you know, they don't know if they can open at their standard capacity or if they're going to have to cut down their, their chairs or tables or kind of like what they're going to be doing. So, you know, what, what type of, do you know if there are any guidelines out yet? Yeah, on? they released a few guidelines, um, but it's, I mean, every day something new comes out. Mm-hmm. So as of now, uh, I think, at uh, the, the end of May, we're supposed to see uh, restaurants start opening again at 50% capacity. I think the, the nation had requested 25%, but our governor had 
had pumped it up to 50 So it's a state-by-state state mandate, basically, yeah. on what's happening? Okay. State-by-state. State. Okay. So what do, you, what do you see going forward uh, for restaurants? How are they going to – are they going to survive? Are we going to see a totally different society? Uh, what does Gianna see going forward for the restaurant market and commercial real estate in the restaurant QSR world? So normally people would think that these national retailers are going to be the ones to survive. Um, but you see big brands like Steak and Shake closing 50 stores permanently. Uh, a lot of other you know, fast casual national brands I've seen are retracting. Um, and then surprisingly, you see mom and pops are surviving well because they know how to adapt to their communities. They reach out well. They know what their community needs. Um, a lot of the times they're smaller, so they can kind of work with what they have. If they have outdoor patio space, it's a huge benefit now. Uh, so the restaurants that don't have outdoor patios are probably going to take the harder hit. You know, redesigning their dining room is going to be tough. So, so talk to me a little bit more about like the outside patios. What what type of opportunities do restaurants have? Um, and I've even heard things like um, potentially taking parking spots and yeah, cornering those idea. up. So talk, talk, talk to me a little bit about what restaurants are going to be doing kind of to, I guess, get around this issue while still keeping their patrons safe. Uh, I've seen a lot of restaurants be really creative. I know that um, Harry's Pizzeria in Coconut Grove uh, has a plexiglass takeout window. Um, they're also installing plexiglass in the restaurant, I believe. So are they, when, when they're doing something like that, are they basically saying no more eating? We're only doing takeout? That's as of now. So I know okay. that they're real. So that's not a permanent change. Yeah, it's not okay. permanent. I think that permanently they're, they're going to install the plexiglasses between the dining tables. Um, spacing totally changes too. You have to be at 50% capacity. So... Dining rooms are going to be much less occupied. Um, I also foresee kitchen layouts changing. Um, since delivery is going to be pumped up, delivery is going to be much higher. So I think they're going to have to expand their kitchens too and take a little bit of the dining room perhaps. Okay, so um, mentioning the kitchens changing, um, tell us a little bit about warehouse kitchens um, and, and that concept. I know that that was something I heard a little bit about before this COVID issue, but I more and more, I think that that is going to be something that takes off more. So can you tell us a little bit about what, what that is um, and what benefits it has to the consumer as well as the uh, owners of these kitchens? Yeah. So I think you mean commissary kitchens, right? Okay. So, yeah. So it's, you're totally right. It is something that's growing now. Um, it's really just communal kitchens for restaurants to go in and, prepare food and whether it's through a delivery service or servicing smaller restaurants, uh, it's a great way to reduce cost. So if you could share communal kitchens and have time shifts between all these different restaurants, it's a great way to, for restaurants to have minimal occupancy costs and pump out the same volume of food that they were before. Yeah. And I mean, certainly with a fear of close contact with another individual, just having basically one person have contact with you by delivering the food to you or handing right. it to you through a drive-through seems like that would be a quick and easy fix to this basically uh, fear. Um, so how, how have the needs of your clients changed? So have you had new clients come in and say, 
or let's say, for instance, old clients that you've been working with throughout um, this COVID looking for spaces, have they come in and said to you, hey, I know we were looking for, let's say, 3,000 square feet. Now I want to look at 1,000 square feet. Like how, how have their wants and needs changed from basically a year ago to today? So right before COVID happened, uh, I had four letters of intent. So I was mid-negotiations for uh, three restaurant spaces and one fitness center. Um, All were put on pause. I recently reached out and the verdict is that they're nervous and they'd still like to wait. Um, I have other clients who are still aggressive on expanding. I have another client, uh, Smoothie Spot, who just started franchising. Um, they're full steam ahead and are totally planning on continuing their expansion like normal. I'm sure adding changes in layouts, uh, you know, updating their layouts to the restaurants, uh, but no, um, their size requirement has not changed. Uh, it really just depends, I guess, your business model. If, if you were more of a market-based, I mean, fitness centers maybe are, are probably mostly freaking out. I don't know how spacing is going to change in a fitness studio um so i don't know if all of my clients can adapt so it'll be interesting to see i guess in the next 30 days if they really want to continue expanding or change their size requirement okay so you you mentioned uh the nerves or you know freaking out of people which you know if you're opening up a small business it's a usually you have your own personal liability tied to it um, especially if you're renting real estate. So um, how are you calming the nerves of your clients? Or is that your job? Should you be calming people down and encouraging them to go forward? Or should you be saying, hey, let's wait around, you know, because you don't make money unless a deal is done. So as somebody who works off of commission, like 99% of brokers do, are you, how are you, how are you basically juggling that where you want to make personal money, but at the same time you need to service your client in the most efficient and honest way? Yeah. So I've always remained very intimate and engaged with my clients. Um, I work towards a long-term relationship. So, I mean, my, my goal isn't to close deals today. I want them to do well because if they do well, they'll expand and they'll always have me around and use me to expand and, and find new locations. Um, calming them down is absolutely part of my job. Um, you know, working in this realm of restaurants, I'm constantly consulting in things that are, aren't necessarily part of the deal, but have are tied into the deal. So um, you almost become a business consultant. Uh, and, and a lot of my clients are also my friends. So um, I've stayed, you know, as informed as possible to help them. Um, but I think that the the restaurants who adapt the quickest will survive. So it's really just moving quickly and not holding back and seeing what happens. I think if you hold back, you're, you're, you're going to be last place in, in the new retail world. Okay. Um, so what, what types of restaurants basically are you seeing that are going to be winning this battle of, you know, or this race, let's say, um, you know, because you have your your high class restaurants, which were clearly sit down restaurants, and they usually have the higher quality food and and such. But if they're going to have to adapt to less people in house, and you know, are is their food going to suffer? Are they going to be taking like cutting corners here and there versus you know, let's say the the lower 
class food, you know, that's slightly quicker and lower quality um, that can basically, you know, somewhat keep it exactly the same because they're somewhat used to people not necessarily eating in the restaurant. So, you know, give us your opinion on, I don't, I don't necessarily know the terms if there is one, I just said like the high quality food versus sure, the lower yeah. quality food, but give <laughs> us your opinion on wh- which of those are going to be surviving. Um, if there's a differentiation between the two or if it's going to be a case by case basis or, you know, so, so tell us yeah. your thoughts. So fine dining. Um, my assumption is that, I mean, people are very desperate to go out and, and do stuff and, you know, be social. So, I think that for fine dining restaurants, reservations are going to be king. So they're just really going to have to work in, you know, plexiglass, dividing the dining rooms and, and try to stick to the same volume that they had before. Unfortunately, with this capacity limit, it's going to be tough. Um, but I think fine dining has to focus more on reservations. Fast casuals or fast food or, you know. What is, what is fast casual? What does that mean? Uh, it's kind of the, the blend of fast food and casual dining. Um, so I guess Chipotle was a pioneer of this. Okay. So yeah. it's still like somewhat nice inside, but you can kind of get in, get out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you kind of order at the counter type thing. Um, those, I mean, they work off volume. So they really have to master delivery. Um, delivery and takeout has to be easy, um, minimal cost, whether they do it themselves or have you know, implement a takeout window. I think that's where their focus should be. Okay. So you said, uh, implementing a takeout window. Are there basically requests that, um, not necessarily your clients, but, um, basically the owners of the restaurants, are they going to be requesting to, I guess, have these changes made to the buildings? Is that a reasonable thing to ask a landlord? To say, hey, Absolutely. I didn't have a drive-through window now, uh, before when we initially had this, but it's either I don't pay you because I'm going to go out of business, or you help me build, you know, a drive-through window. Or yeah, it's in the landlord's benefit for for his tenants to do well. So I'm sure. I mean, I can't imagine a landlord not being flexible now. Um, you know, everybody's in the same boat. No, no landlord wants a vacant space, a tenant who's not doing well. So I'm sure they're they're going to work freely with their tenants and implementing, you know, changes. Okay. Are there kind of like restrictions on, on those types of things? Like, for instance, having a drive-through window, are there like code restrictions or, or can anybody just, you know, port a hole in their wall and say that it's a drive-through window? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, Coral Gables, for example, is very strict on takeout windows. You have to have a separate permit for that. Um, now, I, I don't know if it's nobody's enforcing it or we've understood that we're in weird times, um, but I've seen almost, I mean, Coconut Grove, again, for example, has, uh, tons of restaurants have takeout windows now. I'm not sure if it's up to code, um, but I know they've been successful and have no issues with it. No permits were pulled to have this. So I think everybody's kind of been lenient so far. So Gianna, tell us, um, what else do you have going on in your life? What are you, what are you doing on your, uh, I guess, spare time, um, during this whole COVID epidemic? Yeah. So I thought it would be a good idea to get some feedback from people that are in the industry, whether it's restaurant owners um, people that work in operations that are planning this, these restaurant openings, um, get some insider feedback from them. 
So I'll be doing uh, little mini 15-minute interviews of different chefs or owners in the community. Um, it should be released in a couple weeks, so that should be fun. Uh, do you have the website up yet or the, the link or anything like that? Is that created yet? Yeah, so it's going to be on my Instagram page, Gianna underscore retail. Uh, and I'll, be... I'll link that on the, uh, the podcast description for you all to see. So keep sure. going, Gianna. Yeah, the, the series is going to be called Gianna to go. So kind of a oh, <laughs> plan nice. take up food. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming in today. Uh, I think you gave us some really good information about uh, what the restaurant industry is going through, what changes are going to be made, your view on what the future of restaurants is going to look like in dining, in, out, to go, etc. Um, so I really want to thank you for coming in. I think this was great. Thanks. I really appreciate it. All right, so I want to thank all my listeners. Um, make sure you follow, subscribe, like, share with your friends, family, anybody. You're walking down the street, tell somebody that you see to view the Getting on the Green podcast. And until next time, we will see you on the green.